Dear Christian friends, have you ever considered how often we use things in ways that aren't their intended, their main purpose? Let me give you a, a, probably an easy example. What do we call this? It's a phone. But let's be honest, talking on this to call other people is probably not even the top 10 ways that we use this thing, right? I mean, it's a, it's a text messenger. It's a, it's a music player. It's a streaming video service. It's a GPS. It is a, a camera. It's a database to store all of our pictures. What else we got? Calendar. There's, I mean, there's dozens. There's even a flashlight. This is a flashlight. And you can even call people from it. This is probably an easy, a prime example of something that we don't use for the, the main reason it was originally created, right? But that's not like it's something new that came about just with cell phones. For those of you that are of a, a certain generation, be honest, how many times did you go to the mall just to hang out with friends? Right? You didn't go there to, to browse in the stores. You didn't go there to, to shop. No, you roamed the halls of commerce simply to spend time with friends. And you probably still do something like that today, right? You go to Starbucks or a coffee shop because you, well, you want to meet somebody there. Maybe you have a client that you're meeting. Maybe you have a friend that you haven't seen in a while and you're just catching up. You don't go there because you really want some coffee. You just go there because it's a place to meet. I actually read about a writer that when he was on deadline for a section or for a book, that he was so easily distracted, he would book a first-class ticket from California to Tokyo. And he would never leave the airport and he would get right back on a first-class plane, uh, first-class seat, back to California. And he would spend those 24 hours disconnected from the rest of the world, secluded in his little cocoon, working away so that he could get things done. I don't think that's really what the airlines had intended, but I guess if that works, right? None of those things are, are really bad, and they're not wrong, but they're not really the, the main purpose Right? What about when we come here on Sunday mornings? What's your main purpose? What's your, your motivation? Is it that you saw you were on the schedule and so uh, I better show up for setup? Is it, well, I know so-and-so told me they were going to see me there today, and I said, yeah, and so if I don't show up, they're probably going to wonder what's going on. Or my kids got up and we might as well go because what else are we going to do? Or, you know, I should go. I don't really want to, but I, I should. Or it's just habit and, and I don't even think about it and I don't pay much attention to what I'm going to do. I just go. Or maybe it's just that you really love the donuts. Those things aren't necessarily bad, right? And they're not mostly wrong. But 
I hope that those aren't the main reason, the main motivation that, that you come here to, to be in God's house, to worship with God's people, to gather with them and hear God's word. Hopefully, you're not surprised to find out God actually spells out some pretty clearly some good reasons why he wants his people to gather together. One section where he lays them out is in the book of Hebrews. It was originally a letter written to a group of people who grew up, who were born and raised culturally and religiously Jewish. So they knew all the festivals, they knew all the holidays, they knew all the the customs and the regulations, they knew which sacrifice was supposed to be for what, they knew how many steps you were supposed to take on a Sabbath day. But God wanted them to know, you're really missing what the main purpose is. That's not really what worship is all about. That's not what the Sabbath was intended to be. That's not what gathering together is for. And so in the chapter 10, where we're going to pick up today, this whole section is about how all of those sacrifices that you learned about, all of those sacrifices that were, that were done for hundreds of years, not one of them ever paid for a single sin. Instead, the point of them was to impress how broken we are, how, how sin-filled and sinful we are, and that we need something, someone to save us, to rescue us from our brokenness, from our sin, that we can't do that, and that the price to pay is blood. And then he says, let me tell you about the sacrifice. See, that's what Jesus came not just to make, but to be. He came to be the sacrifice that once for all time, for all sin, for all people, made the payment for all sin. He came to give his life to save us. And God wants us to know that, to know that clearly and simply and surely so that we understand that as, as he says in the last verse, right before our text in Hebrews 10, verse 18, where these sins have been forgiven, sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary. You don't need to keep on sacrificing. It's why we don't. Because there is one sacrifice that paid for all sin. That's the context, then, of what we are about to read, about what we're about to meditate and study this morning. As we look at why God wants us to gather together as his people. So let's pick up in the next verse, Hebrews 10, verse 19. He says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body, And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. That brings us to our first takeaway. We're going to lead with it for this section. God wants me to gather with his people because Jesus made the payment for all of my sins And now I can worship God. 
It's our first takeaway, but it's also the absolute number one reason God wants his people, his family, to gather together. Because our sins are paid for. Because Jesus did that for us. Because we can worship. We get to worship. To emphasize what that means, he he uses a phrase that, that would have rung true for those Hebrew Jewish raised believers. He uses the phrase in verse, there we go, verse 19, to enter into the most holy place. The most holy place or the holy of holies was the the room within the holy place part of the temple where only the priest could go within the courtyard of the temple. It was the innermost room. And God told his people, that's where my presence dwells. Obviously, God is with us. He's everywhere, right? But, but God told his people, this is how you are going to know that I'm with you because my presence lives in that room. And that's why it's called the most holy place because God is holy. The problem is, people aren't. We are impure, unholy, sinful. And because of that, unholy people have no business being in the presence of God, the holy place before the most holy God. That's why no one was allowed in that room. One time, one day, per year, one person was allowed to go in there with a sacrifice for the sins of all the people. It was the Day of Atonement. And he had to go through all of this outward stuff to show he recognized how unworthy he was to be in the presence of God in that most holy place. Sinful people have no business before the holy God. But... God says, we get to enter into that most holy place. Notice, actually what he says is not only do we get to enter into the most holy place, we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus. Now that's not necessarily that original temple building in Jerusalem. This is the most holy presence of the most holy God. Again, we really on our own have no business being there and, and we shouldn't be. But because of the blood of Jesus, the blood of Jesus that washes us from all of our sins, that, that washed away the stain of sin that was so permeated into all of us, Jesus cleansed us by giving his life, by shedding his blood, right? The Bible talks about how Jesus paid for our sins and it says, not with gold or silver, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. Jesus shed his blood. He gave his life to wash us clean, to remove the stain of our sin. And because of that, we get to worship. We get to stand before God. Because now we aren't these stained, wretched people. When God looks at you and God looks at me, because of what Jesus did, he sees people that are are cleansed, that are spotless. He even calls us righteous because of Jesus. Isn't that a cool thing? So we get to 
go into God's presence. We get to gather before him and not timidly and not afraid, but he says with confidence. We get to gather here together with confidence in the presence of the most holy God, the ruler of heaven and earth. We get to gather here because Jesus makes us holy in God's sight. So that's why we, that's where we begin our worship the way we do. That's why our worship is laid out the way it is because where does it focus us? It focuses us on Jesus, right? As we, as we gather together and what do we start worship with? Lord, I've, I've messed up. Again, we acknowledge our failures to, to live and to love God and others the way that God commands. But then we hear that beautiful, beautiful promise, the good news that because of Jesus, all of your sins are forgiven. And then the rest of our worship is centered around that theme as we praise God for what he's done for us. That's why we gather together. Because I'm not sure on my own if my worship just by myself would have that same focus. At least not all the time. But man, do I need that. Do I need to hear that good news again and again and again? Martin Luther once said, believers need to hear the, the message of sins forgiven every day because we sin every day. So God wants us to understand that we gather together, the primary reason we gather together as his people, as his family, is because we can. Because Jesus made the payment for us. But that's not the only reason. That brings us to our next verse, verse 23. God says, Let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess, for he who promised is faithful. We've talked before in worship about how we have hope, right? And, and our hope is not this like wishful thinking, boy, I hope these go on sale, or boy, I, I hope this team wins. It's just a wish. Our hope is built on the certainty of God's promise. Because God never fails, because God is the one who promised and he is faithful. He keeps every single one of his promises. So our hope is not just this wish, it's built on the absolute assurance that God keeps his word. And this is what God says, you are my child through baptism. You are washed clean in the blood of Jesus and you are going to be with me forever in perfection. That's our hope. But let's be honest, life can be kind of distracting, right? I mean, it's getting a little warm in here. That's a little distracting, right? We, we can get our hope pulled away. Maybe, maybe we start to put our hope in ourselves. Maybe we start to trust in things other than God, our stuff, our possessions. Maybe we get distracted by our own sin. Maybe we get distracted by, by things that make us worry and, and wonder about God and about his love for us. And those distractions, they can start to, to cause our focus to waver. Have you ever driven down the road with somebody that you know was a distracted driver? It's not hard to find them, is it? Right? Maybe it's somebody putting on makeup, or maybe they're texting, or maybe they're just trying to you know, put down the fire in the back seat. 
You can tell a distracted driver pretty easily though, right? Because all of a sudden, like the car starts to swerve out of the lane and then quick overcorrect, right? It's not hard to see a distracted driver because they tend to be kind of all over the place and they tend to, to be really close to the boundaries and to be going right out of their lane. And then they, they swerve, and then they swerve, and then they swerve. The distractions of life are a real temptation for us to start to veer out of our lane. Not that we take a hard right away from God, but that we start to, to kind of wander. We start to kind of drift. And then all of a sudden we swerve, right, back to God, and then we start to drift the other way. And then we have to swerve again. And that kind of life is, is tough. And God says, I want you to gather with my people for a really good reason. It's our second takeaway this morning. That we, God wants us to gather with his people in order to keep the focus of my hope on God. So that I don't go for a couple of weeks without hearing the good news of God's love for me. That I don't, I don't lose some of my, my focus on the hope that I have, that my sins are forgiven, that I'm God's child, that I'm going to heaven. Because when I do, that's when I start to drift a little bit more. And then what do I have to do? Swerve. And God says, I don't want you to have to swerve. That's why he says, let's hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. To gather with God's people week in and week out in an ongoing way, consistently hearing the good news, the message of God, because it keeps us focused. It keeps us focused on what our hope really is. So we're not bouncing from crisis to crisis, from worry to worry, from fear to fear, but we keep our eyes on our hope. That doesn't mean life is always easy, but when I keep my, my focus on the hope that my God loves me. My God is in control. My God knows what he's doing and he's going to forgive me, to wash me clean and ultimately to take me to heaven. Then I'm not swerving all over the place. Then I know my hope is sure and secure. The final reason then that God wants us to gather together is in the last two verses of our text. He says, And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Lots of people want to do what's comfortable. We're creatures of comfort, right? So if I can get away with worship on my couch, why wouldn't I? It's a lot more comfortable than these chairs. If I can get away with worship on the, in the golf course or on the boat or on the beach, why wouldn't I? It's more comfortable. And God says, you can worship me there, but you don't get the full picture, the full purpose of what God wants for worship. Because when you go to those places, you generally want to go to them alone or in small groups, right? And let's be honest, if you gather with a small group in a boat to go fishing, you're probably not worshiping a whole lot anymore. If you gather with a small group, a foursome, on the golf course, there may be a few GODs, but I'm not sure it's worship. 
God wants us to gather together, not because of you and your relationship with him, but because of your relationship with other people. Because we all have this desire, and really, we all have a need. We have a need to have a relationship with other people who genuinely care about us. Other people who will encourage us, who will build us up, who will will point out our, our blind spots, our weaknesses, in love, who will, who will push us when we are reluctant or hesitant to do something that we should do or want to do. Do you trust your coworkers to do that? Do you trust your neighbors to do that? Do you trust your friends that you see maybe occasionally to do that? We tend to be pretty protective of, of our vulnerabilities, don't we? And so we don't let that out very easily. We don't really let people in to encourage us, to show them where we're hurting, to show them how we're, we're not sure what to do and how this is our weakness and let them encourage or, or push us. We're pretty careful about that because we don't want to trust somebody who's just going to tell us what, Will help them. We don't want to trust somebody who doesn't have the same values, the same goals, the same ideals, not just as us, but as, as God. But that's why God wants us to gather with his people. Not that Christians are perfect, far from it. We all admitted before we are sinful and broken. We don't claim to be perfect, but we do have the same purpose. And we know where our hope is found. See, when you gather together with God's people, you have people who genuinely love. Right? We heard Jesus say that before. This is how people will know you. This is what I want you to do. Love one another. And it's not the give and take love. It's not the superficial love. This is genuine, true love. The kind of love he showed when he laid down his life. Isn't it awesome that you can gather with people who genuinely care? Who don't just want to hear what the weather was like this week or, or the, the surface issue of how work was. They want to know what's really going on with you. Not because they're being nosy, but because they care. People who want to push you when you are hesitant to do something that you know is the right thing to do, but it's not easy. And they're doing it because it's what's best for you. People who, who look out for you and, and see your weakness, your blind spot, and they, they help you see it too. They call you on it. They, they alert you to it so that you don't wander, so that you don't stumble and fall. And that when you do, they, they point you back to where your hope is found, in Jesus. And they give you the best gift of all, forgiveness. We gather with God's people because, well, what does he say? We get to spur each other on. We get to encourage one another. We find that in one another. And that brings us to our third takeaway this morning. God wants me to gather with his people so that I can encourage you in your faith and your walk of faith. And you can do the same for me.
God wants us to be there for each other. To gather together here in worship of him, but then to gather together with each other. To encourage each other to celebrate the joys. To walk alongside and and carry the burden through the heartaches and the difficulties. God wants us to gather together to have people that will pick us up, that will encourage us, that will help us keep our focus when when life starts to distract us, that will point us back to that good news, to the hope that we have in our God. So in just a few minutes, we're going to wind up our worship. And as we do, I want you to consider, as you grab a cup of coffee, as you grab a donut this morning, Who can you encourage? Who can you listen to? And not just about the the little stuff, but listen to their worries and their fears and care. Who can you celebrate with and rejoice with? Who can you encourage that is struggling at the moment? Who can you push that needs the push? Who can you do that for? And you can't do it for everybody today, but, but I'll tell you what, we're going to be here every Sunday. And I want you to consider that as you gather together, how and who can you encourage? Because that's one of the beautiful things of gathering together with God's people. It's why God wants us to gather together. Let's remember that so that we keep our reasons for showing up here, for gathering the way God wants them to be. So that we don't get pulled off into the, not wrong, but misguided purposes. You can like the donuts, it's okay. But let's remember we're here because because of the hope we have. Because we get to worship God who loves us and saved us. And because we get to encourage one another and build each other up as we do life in this messy world. God bless your gathering together. Amen.